0: Are your clients asking about the employee retention credit, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, or the work opportunity credit? Do you lack answers or expertise in your firm to serve these specialty tax incentives? Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, TriMerit, later in the episode.
1: In 2019, a young and -and up-and-coming art dealer named Inigo Philbrick was all anyone in the art world could talk about. He was a savvy dealmaker, handsome, people compared him to Justin Timberlake. He loved to party and he was inexplicably successful and knowledgeable in the business for someone his age, only 33. But they weren't gossiping about Inigo's good looks, his new Miami gallery, not even his drug use or another winning bid at auction. No, the chatter was about something far more mysterious. Inigo had vanished.
0: if you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com. Download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode.
1: This is Oh My Fraud, a true crime podcast that features double dealing rather than double homicides. I'm Caleb Newquist, and I am Greg Kite. Greg, do you know any wealthy people? And I'm not talking like upper middle class folks. I'm I'm thinking like the the one tenth of the one percent. I'm thinking like succession level wealth. Like, uh, and I'm 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 paraphrasing Dave Chappelle here from long ago, but like our family invented fire, that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, I. I well, I don't think I do, but I work for a bunch of doctors and some of some of the wealthiest of the doctors that I work for, they've got like an empire, but like crazy, like one of the doctors owns like storage units all over the country and like mm-hmm. a pig farm and stuff oh. like this, plus, you know, uncountable real estate investments, things like that. But I still don't think we're talking the top 10th of 1%. Um, yeah. So these guys I know that they got tons of money but they like we're not talking like super yachts or anything like right. that. Uh my closest like if we're if we're doing like the 7 de- you know 6 degrees of Kem- Kevin Bacon kind of thing, my yeah. closest connection to the super rich is that my ex-wife's uncle uh used to be Larry Ellison's private <laughs> pilot. So oh. that that's that's, that's pretty that's, good. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Ellison, he's probably got, he's probably got a fleet of super yachts.
0: Yeah. He, I'm sh- Oh, he's got all the super yachts <laughs> and I think he's got not, I think he's got a, even a fleet of pir- pi- private jets yeah. that he's got and, and super funny side note, uh, my ex-wife's uncle. <laughs> was like a super like hardcore fundamentalist Christian. And he's flying people across the world to do the most licentious, lascivious yeah. no <laughs> imaginable. <doubt. laughs> and so he'd just pray the whole time that he was flying.
1: That, yeah, that just sounds to about get right.
0: The, just to get the sin off.
1: Right, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know anyone wealthy like that. I mean, that kind of wealth, like in the billions, you know, is is really always hard for me to imagine. Like you can spend millions on homes and land all around the world and and you can fly in private jets to get to all of those places and you still have an unbelievable amount of money left. So like essentially it's 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 virtually impossible to spend all the money. It, yeah, it's which, always kind of like mind-blowing to me.
0: Yeah, a- absolutely. Well, it's like And yeah, when you think about like impossible to spend all the money, the thing that comes to my mind is that Richard Pryor movie that came out in the 80s, uh, Brewster's Millions. I know you've seen it. We talked about it a little bit.
1: I love Brewster's Millions. I love that movie.
0: (laughs) So the whole, like the plot is that, uh, Richard Pryor, uh, in order to inhel- inherit $300 million, he has to pe- spend $30 million in 30 days. And there's all these rules where you can't just, uh, you know, you can't do a lot of crazy stuff that would just like, you can't just like light the money on fire, that right. kind of thing. Uh, and the plot of the movie is that he he couldn't do it or he just barely did it and he was miserable the whole time. Yeah, yeah, he was. While he was, he was doing it. So, yeah, yeah.
1: Great movie. Great movie. It was a great movie. But one way, Greg, I think that, I think most people are aware of this, but I think, you know, wealthy folks, the way a lot, well, I shouldn't say a lot, but the way some of them like to spend their money is on fine art. So yeah. like paintings by Picasso or Rembrandt and like photographs by Cindy Sherman, you know, antiquities from the ancient Egyptians, Greeks, Romans, etc. Uh, you know, the kind of stuff that you you can only get at Sotheby's or Christie's and there's mysterious people on the phones and, you know, they're paying millions of dollars for that
0: stuff. Yeah. And and uh, uh, funny enough, in Brewster's Millions, the, the dead guy who willed all this money to Richard Pryor's <laughs> character specifically said that he couldn't buy a bunch of Picassos and just use them for firewood. So... It it clearly is even in the nineteen eighties when they were writing a film about blowing a lot of money, they knew that the way to blow a lot of money was on Picasso's and Rembrandts and photos by Cindy Sherman. Yeah, so yeah, that, that's that's been it, it's yeah. This isn't this is no, we're not breaking news with any of that. Um, but what we are at least honing in on for this podcast is that in twenty twenty one, the global art market was 65.1 billion dollars. And when there's that much money being thrown around, it's absolutely gonna attract interest from a lot of people, and there'll be a lot of people trying to get a piece of that action. Inigo Philbrick grew up in Connecticut,
1: the son of Harry Philbrick, a highly regarded museum director, and Jane Philbrick, a writer, artist, and lecturer. Inigo went to Joel Barlow
0: High School. What? Rank- yeah. I Joel know. Barlow High School? Yeah. Oh, do you know him? No, I've never oh, heard okay. of it before in my life, but uh, it sounds like a pretty fucking
1: fancy high school. It sounds like, I mean, public, I guess it's, apparently it's a public high school in oh. Redding, Connecticut. Still, but a, a highly regarded public high school in Redding, Connecticut. Oh, nice. And, he, uh, and, and in, Inigo, uh, he graduated with honors uh, from there in 2005. And- as you might expect uh as as the as the as the child of some arty parents he was he was an arty kid and that was that was like his main you know his main interest a lot of influence yeah. a lot of took a lot of took a lot for mom and dad uh, yeah, as a young if, person
0: if you if you need to be instilled with art appreciation have your father's income be solely based on people's appreciation of art <laughs> yeah right so
1: sadly Inigo's father divorced his mother in 2006 and by several accounts this was devastating for Inigo uh he resented his dad for leaving his mom and they would later become estranged right but he well,
0: never, yeah and we we all know we all know the the famous quote uh hello my name is Inigo Philbrick you divorced my father prepared to die yeah everyone knows that it, yeah it's yeah pop culture
1: mm-hmm but Nevertheless, despite this kind of the splitting of the family, Inigo did follow in his dad's footsteps by attending Goldsmiths University of London. He was an art student there. And in 2010, after attending Goldsmiths, he secured an internship at the White Cube, which is a prestigious London gallery founded by um, a British art dealer by the name of Jay Joplin, who's, again, kind of was well known still is by all accounts oh, and yeah. um, I
0: mean everybody knows Jay Jopling he's the everyone everyone in the
1: art world Greg yeah
0: <laughs> he's 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 that famous uh, relative of Janice Jopling
1: <laughs> or yeah close enough right
0: yeah yeah prove me wrong <laughs> prove me wrong Twitter <laughs> um,
1: and and Jay Jopling, he he soon became uh, Indigo's mentor. Nice, and uh, because Inigo he, he he demonstrated a lot of talent like early on he was and he was ambitious and he quickly became in charge of White Cube's secondary market sales. Now, what does secondary market mean? And the easiest way to think about it is like basically like used cars. Art sold on the secondary market was pre-owned as opposed to a new piece. Uh, that was being sold for the first time and Inigo had a specialty in post-war and contemporary artists and when he became interested in an artist he learned everything he could about their work and where they were located and who owned them and so he became known as kind of a savvy deal maker who had like these really deep knowledge about the artists and their work Um, and he was he was good at at getting it at a good price and flipping it for a profit
0: yeah and and before we get too far let's talk about uh the fine art market for just a little bit because there's there's certain there's certain collectors who they they get the art because they love the art and then there's certain collectors where they buy the art and it's just an it's just an asset it's just an investment Mm -hmm. and they're just trying to make money like you were just describing so it isn't so much about the the art itself per se it's more about the bragging rights associated with winning a particular piece uh, of art at auction and then reselling it later for for a profit so it's there's a little bit of bragging rights based on how prestigious the work of art is and there's probably an equal amount of uh, bragging rights or you know interest just in the fact that you're making a shit ton of money on turning this thing around and uh sometimes obviously you these people are making like a killing but just like with all kinds of assets sometimes you get screwed and you buy you know like i i think of uh board ape uh the the uh you know the what Bored are those things ape called yacht
1: club your the Bored, nfts greg the nfts,
0: NFTs yes the NFTs—that's where it goes the wrong way. Yes, when you buy an NFT, who—who who could have seen that coming? But uh, but but with with like actual physical tangible art, there's lots of uh, variables that go into uh, what's going to happen with the price over time, uh, and including and and I would say, as somebody who knows nothing about it, arguably the most important part is just the popularity of the artist yeah um i feel as though van gogh has been having a recent resurgence in interest and i'm sure that that has affected the price of his art in the secondary market um and speaking of van gogh yes just to put the art market into perspective in 2021 there was some knucklehead and i call him a knucklehead because I truly believe that he's a knucklehead who bought a wooden cabin among the olive trees and cypresses which is a painting by Van Gogh. He Uh bought it in 2021 for $71 million. Yeah. Um, That was Van Gogh. In 2021, Picassos, if you just look at all the Picassos that were sold on the secondary market, Mm -hmm. all of the Picassos, their combined value of what they were sold for on the secondary market just in 2021 was $671 million.
1: Unbelievable.
0: Unbelievable. And if you want to talk about (laughs) flipping our... I found, and these are people that I do not know their work at all. I think I saw just a blip of it in the article that I that I found this in. But there is an artist named Flora Yuknovich, uh, and she was selling her paintings for a meager $40,000 a piece in a little mm-hmm. gallery uh, way back in 2018. And those same pieces, again, in twenty twenty one were selling upwards of three million dollars. So somebody who snatched up one of Flora Yuknovichch's paintings made, you know not not a tenfold increase on their original investment, but pretty damn close. yeah, so there so if
1: i if I may just add some, well, yeah, I think what we're getting at here, and we've talked about this in other episodes is, there's a lot of speculation going on right yeah and i think yep. and like i think the, the 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 most the most recent episode that we talked a lot about speculation was um was uh high stakes high, fraud. Stakes, fraud. high yeah, stakes ghost fraud. cattle yeah yep. ghost cows and similar to and i guess this is where it's going to get a little bit crass for the art lovers out there but this it, it in in the research for this episode like what you hear people say either on podcasts or reading articles is like this kind of like speculation in the art market people kind of like poo-poo it and they don't like it but it is widespread and oh, yeah. the reason people don't like it is because it kind of reduces artwork which is supposed to be like Art is supposed to be like these cultural touchstones, right? Like these things right. that have meaning and and are important and and, and and people should care about them. But really what this kind of behavior shows is that it's art is just a commodity just like everything else. Right. And that's why the specul and that's and, and the speculation is, is, is kind of evidence of the behavior oh. of people speculating on the prices of arts and artists is pretty indicative of that it is to a large degree a commodity for many yeah. people.
0: Well, well it's, it's just the difference between like, uh, like hardcore nerds and Wall Street bros because totally. you've, you've got the same thing. I mean, think about like baseball cards. It's the same thing. There's some people who just feel like if they can hold a, I don't know, Mickey Mantle rookie card yep. in their bare hands and go, I own this, then they feel like their that their life hasn't been a complete waste (laughs) and that their existential crisis is resolved for one day but there's other people who are just like going no i can buy a mickey mantle today and i can sell it for way more tomorrow yeah and uh and those people erode the 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 intrinsic value that the nerds find in that stuff baseball cards comic books all that stuff there's people who are in it for the love of the thing and there are people in it because they want to exploit the other people who are in it for the love of the thing and and one the one hates the other and the other lives on the one if that makes yep. sense
1: it does now good as we've noted because of the speculation speculation is inherently risky right yeah and Inigo, Inigo liked taking risks
0: yeah he did and uh, let me just just to back up a little bit to what we were just talking about. Mm-hmm. What's also crazy when we when we're talking, you know, and again, I'm sure this is the case with baseball cards, with comic books, and it's also the case with fine art, which I think is shocking, but uh, it's not infrequent that the people who do buy these famous, classical, well known super high value pieces of artwork. They don't even take possession of the artwork. They don't look at it. They don't hang it on their wall. They put the damn thing in storage in some tax haven just so they don't have to pay uh, taxes or customs or anything like that on it. Because again, they're just in it for the money. So they're doing whatever they can to just minimize it. Because if they took it out and they put it on their wall, they'd have to buy some command strips (laughs) to the to put it on the wall without damaging the art or their wall and then they'd have to box it up again when somebody bought it and that's overhead that's unnecessary overhead anybody who's in business fucking knows that and is going to minimize that shit as much as they can come on accountants you know what i'm talking about
1: in october 2011 Due to his early success and burgeoning reputation, Inigo opened his first gallery, Modern Collections, in London's posh Mayfair district with financial backing from his mentor, Jay Joplin. Okay. Yeah. Um, shortly, shortly thereafter, in 2013, Inigo went into business for himself, again, with Joplin's support. And as we said before he had a specialization in post-war contemporary artists and a few of them uh that people may or may not know but a few that came up uh frequently in the research were artists like wade guyton, uh, wade, guyton? W- wade guyton wade guyton yeah christopher wool and uh, christopher rudolph. wool and rudolph stingle yeah
0: you're kidding me rudolph stingle
1: oh the art people are gonna they're gonna they're gonna they're kind of after you greg they will I just, we had a lot of people
0: just bounce out of this podcast.
1: I have to say though, I, I, I researched either because I didn't know him either. And so I, I researched these guys and uh, they, their work is very, very interesting. I have to say it's nice. So cool. Like cool stuff. Anyway, according to art news, quote, Philbrook would take a strong position on an artist, learn as much as he could about where all the work was and make sure he had pieces to offer. These high quality works were often priced aggressively. He developed a reputation for driving up artists', artists markets, often establishing new benchmarks, which is
0: nuts. Because when you what say does that, that sound
1: like? What does it, that sound like? Greg? It
0: sounds like pump and dump stock stuff. Where or you could
1: say or you could say it sounds like speculation.
0: Or it sounds like spec. Well, no, no, no. Because it's not just speculation. It's yeah. speculation plus trying to manipulate the market in which you have speculated which that's the whole pump and dump thing where it's like you buy up a bunch of stock and then and you're saying man this is the this stock's the shit everybody needs to get in on this and so then people start going oh I need to get in on it and then you go yeah and guess who's selling it me now that everybody's interested in it and then you dump all your stock and it's kind of like he does that with these artists as well because again like we said there's lots of factors that go into the value of a piece of fine art and a Mm. lot of it is how much interest do people have in it so if you're able to to learn all this stuff about some you know maybe not super obscure but relatively obscure artist, and you gather all this stuff and then you go man this guy's amazing and then people like he is amazing and that's going somewhere and i got to get a a piece of that and then you sell all your stuff it's the same thing but it's not illegal
1: right so i think that was the point i was about to make which is the key difference is that the art market is Completely unregulated.
0: Completely unregulated.
1: So, during this time of his rapid ascent in the art world, Inigo was living lavishly. He lived in an art-filled Mayfair flat with his girlfriend Francesca Mancini, who's an art dealer and perfumer, Ooh. and she's from a well diffused well well-to-do family. <laughs> a well
0: diffused, he- well perfumer <laughs> fa- family. <laughs> She's like a, it's like a, basically an atomized family that's it's, right it's yes. not the nuclear family it's an atomized family
1: a well-to-do family who he'd met at goldsmiths he wore tailored Italian suits and liked very expensive watches uh, one watch in particular that came up in a New York Times article is a 5990 paddock uh, and I had a hard time pinning this uh, pinning the price on this watch down But I'm pretty sure it's at least a six-figure watch. So, like, I don't know. People who know
0: watches are probably like, yeah, the the Nautilus. Anyway. And also, just for the listeners out there, there's a clock on your phone. (laughs) There is. And it works really well. Keeps very good time. Perfect time. Like, it's the exact time. But
1: depending on the phone, still may be overpriced. Possibly. Yeah.
0: Oh, well, I'll tell you what. Nobody's paying six figures for their iPhone, especially no. not for their Android, and those also have clocks on them. Those Androids, are really coming along. <laughs> <laughs> this episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by Merit. It seems like every week a new questionable ERC mail pops up offering small businesses a way to get $26,000 from the government for each one of their employees. We've all seen Twitter ads, Facebook ads, ads in podcasts, ads on Instagram, ads on TV shows, and I even personally know a guy here in Utah who's been charged with fraud for false ERC claims totaling $11 million. These questionable ERC mills are coming hard after your clients. If they haven't reached them already, they will soon. And based on the stories I've been hearing from accountants, the IRS will be reaching out to them soon too. This is why when it comes to ERC, it's important to have the right people, the right process, and the right partner. Introducing TriMerit. Try Merit is a team of CPAs, engineers, and attorneys that function as an extension of your tax advisory team. They can help your clients with ERC, R&D tax credits, cost segregation, energy credits or deductions, and the work opportunity credit. And working with them is as easy as one, two, three. One, they offer a no-cost feasibility analysis. Two, they document all tax incentive studies to ensure that your clients meet all requirements. And three, they offer audit representation to ensure your clients aren't left hanging if audited by the IRS. To learn more about adding TriMerit to your team, head over to omifraud.promo/trimerit. That's oh my dot promo forward slash T-R-I-M-E-R-I-T.
1: All right. Someone else who was a big supporter of Inigo during this time was a, another known personality in the art world, Kenny Schachter, and I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Um, I am, right?
0: I think so. Yeah, that's, that's Schachter. How pronounce. Yeah, it's, it's not, not Schachter. Schachtner. It's not it's not Shatner like William Shatner. It's No, there's Schachter. no end. There's no end. No. It's Shachter. Got it. Kenny, Kenny Shakter. Oh, Kenny good old Kenny good old Kenny Schachter.
1: Yeah. And Shachter is is a character and he he was described in the New York Times as a an artist, gadfly and columnist, which is a pretty kind of flattering trio of terms, I would say. If yes, if, if the
0: New York Times described me that way, I would be very happy with it for what it's. Right. Like. Well, and and what's interesting and and one of the articles that I read about this, he describes himself as being someone who who like was interested in the fine art world, Mm -hmm. but he didn't come from the money that was required to be in the fine art world. So he was in it as much as he could, but then he and he was in it enough to be considered an insider to where he could write about the inside of the so he just like like the door was cracked open just enough for him to say he was on the inside and then he, right. he was like writing about everything he saw so yeah, right and so I think G- gadfly I think Gadfly is a great description
1: it is yeah yeah uh, Kenny and Inigo first met in 2012 and after he bought a painting from him the two quickly became friends and for years they sat together at auctions traveled the world together going to art shows. Uh, with Inigo frequently chartering, 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 chartering <laughs> private jets for the occasion. Uh, Schachter frequently used Inigo as a background source for his ArtNet columns. He he was a that's where he is a, a uh, or was a writer.
0: Yeah, that's where he that's where he gadflied. That's where he gadflied. Yes, Gla- gad flew. That's where he gad flew. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and he covered he
1: covered uh, Inigo's uh, galleries. He covered their shows, and uh, they also continued to do art deals together on the on the secondary market. Yeah. and of course they were they were partying. Um, and for the next several years, Inigo's Mayfair gallery was thriving, uh, with more than a hundred million pounds in revenue in 2017. And nice. that same year, his girlfriend uh, Francesca, they gave birth to a daughter. And his his reputation and prospects were continuing to grow. And he was continuing to make deals.
0: But Caleb, then comes 2019, where Daniel Tumpel and Loretta Vertenberger. Very partners, nice. am I saying that right? I got right It I sounds am.
1: sounds fantastic. Yeah. It's, <laughs>
0: it's, it's, so, uh, Tumpel and Vertenberger were partners of Surprise, a German art financing <laughs> company uh, by the name Fine Art Partners, which in German is Fine Arte Partenberger Vasen. Is it? Yes. Yeah. Wow. I, prove me wrong, Twitter. Uh, so, Fine Art Partners were trying to sell a painting that uh that they had bought with Inigo's help. Uh the piece was a photo realist portrait of of all people, Pablo Picasso. Uh and and y- you know what photorealism is, right, Caleb? I mean before
1: I did the research of this, I I maybe would have been able to guess, but I I now I do know what a photorealist uh painting is. Yeah. And it is a it is a painting of a photo. <laughs> <laughs> and, it, and it and it's very realistic it's very realistic exactly. like if well, you i don't i, I like all the stuff in the show notes you'll you'll find you'll find this painting but it is it looks like a photograph yeah it is and that's that pretty always, remarkable
0: that always bothers me when i see something and i go is that a is that mm-hmm. a photo or is that a uh is that a photo with a filter or is that a painting yeah and that's a that's the uh, the the question that will haunt humanity forever uh, and so this uh, this photorealist portrait of Pablo Picasso was painted by Rudolf uh, Stingle, which was one of Inigo's inner circle of artists that he he was after uh, that he specialized in. And uh, fine, so here's here's the details of all this. Fine Art partners had paid 7.1 million dollars for this particular photorealistic painting and they did that in 2016. And now, 2019, they're looking to sell it and Inigo was their man. And Inigo was like, hey, I can make a deal with Christie's Auction House to guarantee a $9 million sales. Now, you might be asking yourself, how in the world can you guarantee $9 million at an auction? great question here's how it works is that you make a deal with Christie's where they say we're gonna for sure make sure you get your 9 million bucks even if people bid less than 9 million you get 9 million but Christie's only makes a deal like that when they assume that they'll be able to get significantly more than the 9 million because once they put in the guarantee then obviously Christie's is risking a lot, so if it comes in over the $9 million, which Christie's is betting on, then Christie's gets a way bigger cut of the, the, the funds that come in in excess of that $9 million. And as a matter of fact, Inigo told Fine Arts Partners, that he thought that it was going to get fourteen million dollars, which is almost double what they originally paid for their, their original investment in this. And then, listen: on May fifteenth, twenty nineteen, at Christie's in New York, lot thirty-three B, Steingel's photorealistic portrait of Picasso sold for a shocking six point five million dollars. <laughs> Which was horrible uh, for for really for Christie's, right? Not so much for anybody but Christie's. I mean, yeah, yeah. Effectively, yes. I mean, I, I think
1: that's right. Here's the thing: Fine Art Partners, they it they they the painting sold for less than they paid for it, but right as you point out, they didn't take a loss. He he hedged it. Yeah, he hedged it. And so it was, it ended up being the smart play.
0: Yeah. So, so fine art partners, they were disappointed because, uh, because like I said, if it did go for over 9 million, they still would have got a cut of whatever was above the 9 million. So they were a little bit uh, disappointed, but Inigo was like, don't worry about it. We have the guarantee it it was a great thing to do that was a smart move that i did for you guys you're welcome and he was like here's a here's a copy of the contract with uh, with christie's he gave it to daniel tumpel showing the 9 million dollar guarantee uh but then tumpel noticed that christie's website had listed the sale for 6.5 million, not the 9 million. Hmm. And Inigo explained that the auction house must have had internal reasons for listing it at the not guaranteed price. But apparently, the traditional manner is that if it's guaranteed, you say that it was sold for the guaranteed price. Because effectively, it was. It was just sold kind of partly to, you know, because it, it, that's really what it was sold for. Right? Right. 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 But months went by, and Fine Art Partners had not received their $9 million for the Steingel photorealistic painting of Pablo Picasso. And Inigo, he, he explained that some funds, hadn't had that they'd been tied up, and FAP had been dealing with Inigo for years uh, since 2015. So this is... You know four or five years later and he's always been a straight shooter so they they accepted that excuse uh but this was the third painting that Inigo currently owed owed them money for and Inigo blamed the holdup on this other guy Leonard Friedland uh this Russian collector who was also the co-owner of Phillips which was another auction house so Daniel Tumpel eventually contacted Christie's himself to find out where the missing money was, uh, attaching the documentation, the guarantee that Inigo had given him kind of going, Hey, I got this guarantee. I'm supposed to get $9 million where bitch better have my money. Here's my stuff. And a few days later, uh, what happened is Christie's lawyers sent him an email and in the email, Christie's lawyers said, we believe that this is a falsified document. And it went on to say that Christie's, listen, Christie's had no record of that document in their files, period. And that Inigo Philbricks company was not listed as the consigner on that painting and that Christie's hadn't even sold it on FAP's behalf. They... They were saying they sold it for somebody who wasn't Fine Art Partners, and Fine Art Partners is saying, no, I got a contract that says you owe me $9 million for selling my art, and their records showed that the painting belonged to someone completely different than Fine Art Partners.
1: This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by LiveFlow. Did you hear the news? LiveFlow just launched a new consolidation product. LiveFlow power user Beth Melcher of MoneyFit said that LiveFlow's consolidation is saving her team 15 to 20 minutes per client every week and eliminates the use of formulas. LiveFlow's automated multi-entity consolidation is simple to use. You can easily map multiple unmatching charts of accounts from multiple QuickBooks online companies into one standardized report. And once it's set up, Liveflow works its magic, updating the consolidations automatically in real time so you can focus on analysis using instantly updated data across entities. Liveflow can even consolidate financials that are in different currencies, and the possibilities don't stop there. Liveflow empowers you with flexible, powerful reporting tools to create customized dashboards that meet your specific needs. Build executive presentations, cash flow forecasts, and more with just a few clicks. Stop grueling over manual consolidation reports and to get twenty five percent off your first three months. Be one of the first ten listeners to head over to ohmyfraud.promo slash live flow. That's ohmyfraud.promo forward slash L I V E F L O W. Now, the art world being a very small place this episode with fine art partners soon resulted in other investors and partners of Inigo coming forward, alleging that they were the true ing, true owners of the Stingle. Okay.
0: Wait, flur- so we're, we're talking multiple other parties. Yes. Not, not just one other person, but a bunch of people.
1: Yeah. So here we go. A flurry of lawsuits followed with each party making its claim to the work. So, According to an Art News article from early November 2019, both Guzzini part Pro, excuse me Guzini Properties Limited and an entity owned by Alexander Pesco, who was a friend of Inigos, uh, his entity was uh, known as Sat Finance. They also both claimed ownership along with FAP. So three three parties are claiming ownership of the Stingle. But this is weird, right? Like how how did how would yeah. this even happen? Um FAP, Fine Art Partners, they claimed in their lawsuit that after it had purchased the Stingle painting in 2016, Philbrick sold it without their knowledge in 2017 to Guzzini Properties. And it was Guzzini who consigned the painting to Christie's for the sale, not Inigo. Okay. Gotcha. Guzzini, meanwhile, Claimed in its lawsuit that they had purchased the painting along with two others from Inigo for six million. Guzzini also claimed that prior to the sale to FAP in 2016, Inigo sold a 50% share of the painting for 3.35 million to Pesco, but that he never paid a charge that Pesco's attorney denied. Okay. So,
0: so, so let me see, if, you I can, let me see you if I did. Did you follow all that? Yeah, I, I think so. So, what happened? Yeah is uh fine art partners the german guys yep they they bought the thing legit for 7.1 million dollars back when they bought it but seems then, that way yes but then inigo he even though he didn't own it he's a broker so he goes to guzzini and says hey i got this sweet this sweet steingle that i can sell you how about six million dollars so guzzini says hell yeah we'll buy it for six million dollars but then he, but then it was like, well, but you can only get 50% of it because I already sold half of it to Pesco, which was the other one, the Sat Finance guys. I already sold part of it for $3.35 million to Pesco. So that's how all three of them had their fingers in it is that he sold half of the painting to one person, sold all of it to the other person without them knowing that he'd sold half of it to somebody else. It's pretty freaking convoluted. Yeah, but it is. selling He's selling a lot of paintings that aren't his for a lot of money
1: that's right so you've got all these people claiming to own the painting and you know given up to this point that Inigo has had a good reputation and good relationship yeah. with all these people you'd think yeah. he'd, cre- he'd quickly clear up this confusion yeah uh, but then he stopped communicating with everyone and that's was always always a good sign be- yeah oh we can't find him great huh nothing wrong here yeah and when 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 Fine Art Partners sent someone to to Inigo's new Miami gallery that had opened earlier that year to locate him, they found it closed and the walls
0: bare. Another great sign. That's a uh, that's always that's always good. I that's think what you like to see. With the news of the Steingl, uh spreading throughout the art world, and even more so. With Inigo completely missing and not to be found, more and more accusations started to come in. So in October 2019, uh, there was a court filing by Sat Finance Investment, that's PESCO's people, and it accused Inigo of misleading it into paying $12.2 million towards the purchase of humidity which is a painting by the artist Jean Michel Basquiat. Basquia. Basquiat. Uh, Basquiat.
1: Basquiat. Basquia.
0: Basquia. Jean Michel Basquiat. Very good. As we mentioned, uh, Pesco and Inigo they were they were tight. Uh, they, they'd even been so tight that they had v- vacationed together, and they'd done a whole bunch of successful art deals prior to the fiasco with Basquiat uh, and it, it took some persuasion but in 2016, Inigo finally convinced Pesco to do the deal and to purchase humidity for 18.4 million and when the deal was done, Inigo sent Pesco a bill showing that the purchase price was 18.4 million but in Sat Finance's court filings, it claimed that Inigo had actually purchased it for 12.5 million, which means that rather than contributing two-thirds of the purchase price, the the 12.2 million to get an $18.4 million piece of art, Sat Finance had contributed 97% because they contributed 12.2 million towards a piece that was actually purchased for 12.5 million. And what no one knew amidst all this
1: wheeling and dealing, Indigo had a secret. He had been borrowing a lot of money and he had accumulated a lot of debt. Mm. By the end of 2018, he owed $20 million to two different art finance c- companies, one of which was Guzzini Properties. Mm. So how did that happen?
0: Yeah. Starting, <laughs> right? So he, so he kind of screwed Guzzini in two ways where it's like, he sold them something that he didn't have and he also is so the guzini the guzini deal, deal is kind of
1: the Guzzini deal is kind of complicated and we we're not going to get into it because it's a pretty convoluted deal but essentially like when they purchased the stingle there there was, a, there was kind of a financing element to it okay so they gave him a bunch of money with the understanding that you know that they were going to be be repaid at some point and again, sure. it's a it's kind of a convoluted deal. So, I'm not I, I I don't have the details. But nevertheless, how did Indigo get 20 million in debt is the question. Yeah. So, yeah. let's get into that. Starting in 2016, Indigo approached Athena Art Finance, a boutique lender that took art as collateral for loans. Uh, but before Athena would loan Indigo any money, they conducted due diligence including research into the provenance. Provenance? Provenance. Provenance. Provenance? Great city in Rhode Island. Yes, indeed. (laughs) Research into the provenance, that is the origin and history of ownership of the artwork that Indigo would post as collateral. And they also conducted their own appraisal. And perhaps most importantly, Athena would only loan the money if the borrower was the sole owner of the work. Gotcha. Okay. Yep. In March 2017, Athena opened a $10 million line of credit with an entity solely owned by Inigo, secured by what they called a pool of artworks, including uh, a, a, a Christopher Wool. And okay. later that same month, Indigo requested and Athena accepted Basquiat's humidity to be added to the collateral pool. And when Athena asked Inigo for a list of works that had shared ownership, the Basquiat was not on that list, despite the fact that he had already had two ownership partners yeah who who, who remember don't know about each other right, right and and one of those was was Pesco yeah okay in, yeah. Tw- in April of 2017, the next month, based on the information he provided and the approval of the Basqueyabi and added to the collateral pool. Athena extended Inigo an additional three, three and a quarter million dollars. Yeah. So, fast forward, back because we're kind of jumping around a bit, but right. fast forward back to September and October of 2019. Right. When the Germans remember Fine Art yep. Partners. The, yep. the the German investor group. They learned that Christie's had sold the Rudolf Stingle painting of Picasso on behalf of someone else. Uh-huh. And at this time, Pesco's Sat Finance had contributed 97% of the money, not the two thirds like Inigo had told them to purchase Basquiat's Humidity. At this time, Inigo approaches Athena Art Finance to ask, quote, what would happen if he defaulted on his loan?
0: Another another great sign that everything's going a okay going,
1: going great
0: yep going great yep and then it's like you you can't there's three it's like three strikes now you can't find me I have tons of debt and right before I left I said hey what's the worst that could happen to me if I stop paying you back those are n- n- no red flags here
1: <laughs> a complaint filed by the FBI then reads quote later that month Philbrick admitted to the art finance company. Athena they don't name him they don't name him in the complaint but that's okay. who, that's who they're referring to there yeah admitted to the art finance company in substance and in part that Philbrick was not the sole owner of the Basquiat the Wool and another painting in the collateral pool and began trying to negotiate a payment plan or settlement of the art finance company's claims with the respective co-owners of the artworks on or about October 14th 2019 the art finance company sent Philbrick an official notice of default on the loan contract.
0: <laughs> so coming for full circle to where we started in the story, in late 2019, everybody was looking for Inigo Philbrick, but he was nowhere to be found. And when he failed to appear in court hearings in both Miami and in London, that's when the search for Inigo really got ramped up. And rumors flew around about where he might be, including Thailand, South Africa, South America, the Bahamas, Cuba, and other places that are even more far flung than those. (laughs) But his friend and sometimes business partner and now victim, Kenny Schachter, wrote in one of his Artnet columns in December of 2019 that he had exchanged direct messages with somebody who he believed was Inigo And that Schachter believed that Inigo was actually in Sydney, Australia, en route to a micro island in the Pacific Ocean. And as more details were revealed about the lawsuits and court filings, it was learned that Inigo had orchestrated a bunch of similar deals where it either sold more than 100% interest in an artwork and collected the money from... Investors who were unaware of each other and unaware obviously that he was selling more than a hundred percent interest in a piece of art. And among these works, uh we had an untitled 2010 painting by Christopher Wool, a 1988 painting by Donald Judd, a Yayoi Kasama installation that uh, sold to the Saudi royal family, and another immersive work by Akusiyama titled all the eternal love I have for the pumpkins, which I want to know what that is because there's everything about that title that makes me curious about the, the strange uh, sexual fetish that Kusama has for gourds. It, it's great. You should check it out. I will. I That's will fantastic. Google it immediately. Yep.
1: This episode of Oh My Fraud is sponsored by the South Carolina Association of CPAs, also known as SCA CPA.
0: Hey, Caleb, you know I love diving into a juicy fraud case with you, right? But check this out. There's a place where accountants get together and talk shop and share knowledge about everything accounting related, including stories about untamed financials.
1: Oh, tell me more, Greg.
0: At every single one of My State CPA Society events, there's a mountain of practical insights and experience. You get to meet other accountants, share knowledge, and even hear some first-hand accounts of financial intrigue. And here's the kicker, Caleb, you'd be hard-pressed to find a better place for networking. I joined My State Society as an undergrad during the depths of the Great Recession, and before I graduated, I had multiple job offers, all from firms that I connected with through My State Society. Hey, that all sounds pretty good, Greg. But what else does
1: a state CPA society bring to the table?
0: Uh, They bring lifelong professional friendships, networking that'll turbocharge your career and leadership opportunities. And on top of all that, your state CPA society is an unwavering advocate for you and for the profession. State CPA Associations keep their fingers on the pulse of the constantly shifting business, regulatory, and legislative landscapes to keep you on the cutting edge and to protect the CPA profession. And as you know, protecting the profession means securing your livelihood. And hey, wherever you're tuning into the podcast from, be it the Palmetto State or some other state with a lamer nickname, there's a CPA association in your corner ready to ignite your accounting journey. If you're ready to find out why CPA Association membership is for you, head on over to omifraud.promo/scacpa. That's omifraud.promo/scacpa. Uh and and there's there's tons of others that were overlooked in the research uh, because we just you know, an exhaustive list would bore you and would take too long but we're we're talking about millions and millions of dollars in artwork mm-hmm. that's that's in question uh through all of these again like we said the flurry of litigation that came in so in march 2020 kenny schachter wrote a very long account of his friendship with inigo the art world's mini madoff as he called him uh for new york magazine the article recounts much of what we talked about in today's episode uh but also includes A whole bunch more salacious detail, including Inigo's drinking, his drug use, his keeping of company with prostitutes, as well as his breakup with his longtime girlfriend and baby mama, Francesca Mancini, and then about how Inigo hooked up with a british reality tv personality victoria baker harbour it's a great read it's a firsthand front row account and you can find a link to it in the show notes but here is one particularly eyebrow raising bit from that article about how inigo started his day inigo 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 Each and every morning, the young art dealer would shout at himself at full volume in the shower to fire himself up for the daily dealing tasks at hand. He related this to me endearingly while Baker Harbor recounted this unusual habit with more than a little alarm. The young man was clearly under a great deal of pressure. Maybe its meaning changed as his elaborate facade fell to pieces. He even had a sweatshirt with Inigo, Inigo, Inigo printed on it that his girlfriend had made for him. The guy was a nut job, and he was clearly crumbling uh, internally from a psychological perspective.
1: <laughs> he he was cracking.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But then finally in June 2020, Inigo Philbrick was apprehended on the Pacific island nation of Vanuatu about 8,400 miles from New York where he had been charged with wire fraud and aggravated identity theft. And when he finally arrived in New York in July, he was denied bail after both his mother offered up her house and his now fiance, Victoria Baker Harbor, offered up some of her family's real estate in the Bahamas. After nearly a year and a half in jail, Inigo pleaded guilty to one count of wire fraud in november of 2021 the final tally for his scheme was 86 million bucks early in 2022 Inigo's business partner robert newland a british citizen was arrested for his role in the scheme he pleaded guilty to one count of a conspiracy to commit wire fraud in september of 2022 and as of this recording Uh, Robert Newland, that guy, he was still awaiting sentencing. And Inigo Philbrick was sentenced to 84 months in prison in May of 2022. He is serving his time in a federal correctional institute in Pennsylvania, and he's scheduled to be released in early 2026.
1: So, Greg... Did we learn anything here? I mean, uh, this is like cause I just want to say, like this I know there's lots of accountants listening. Uh and and they probably are like, why are these guys talking about this? Like it's just it seems a little I don't know if it's if, I mean, it's it's a fascinating case, right? Yeah. And I uh and I, I know there are there are accountants out there that deal with high net worth individuals and who sure. probably invest in artwork. Uh, but in general, um I'm I'm just curious, Greg. What did we learn from this?
0: Well, I think we learned a ton and I think that accountants should should uh, take note of some of the things from this particular case. Specifically, it's all about uh, cuz there's the, all those fraud uh, assault, all those audit assertions that have Mm -hmm. to be taken care of when you when you perform an audit on a client and one of those is the 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 assertion of rights who owns what and that's what this entire fraud was about was who owned what and i'll tell you legal documents are the devil uh and caleb (laughs) i mean everybody knows this yeah legal documents are are so convoluted they're, they're first off they're written in language that's far more difficult to comprehend than shakespearean works uh yes they and that and, and that's by design yeah yeah exactly yeah. and mm-hmm. and they get so like they're so convoluted because they have to describe if if it's a good legal document it's going to describe every possible outcome of Mm -hmm. this legal arrangement has to describe it in very exact language and and when, because one of my with my day job, I I I am the controller for a group of medical office buildings, and a lot of my job is overseeing transactions where someone buys membership units from someone else. Yep. And so I I not only review legal documents on a, a weekly, if not daily, basis, but I even a lot of times my lawyer will send me basically like fill in the blank documents that then I mm-hmm. I sort of alter on my own kind of junior a lawyer in training sort of paralegal uh, yeah yeah kind of and and it's funny because it's not i I did have to look into it's not it's not practicing law without a license because i am actually representing the party that's drafting the documents so it's not i'm not practicing law i'm just uh i'm just altering some legal documents uh for the the company that i'm an agent of but I'll tell you when you start getting into negotiation where there's just back and forth and people go no we need to change this oh we okay we'll change that but we have to change this too and then they go okay I like that but tweak this language as soon as there's probably about three back and forth everybody just gets into this negotiation fog and negotiation fatigue where they don't remember anything that they've already requested to be changed and all of the language just turns into like just jibber jabber that you're that all all you care about is when are we going to fucking sign these things and that's it and the other thing is nobody when you're dealing with a transaction like when when inigo sells a fractional portion of an interest in a painting to someone you're looking at your purchase of that fractional piece of artwork you it i don't think anybody is saying hey i also need to see all of the uh i I also need to get the contact information for each of the other fractional owners. And then you contact them and say, Hey, how much of this do you own as well? No, just nobody does that. That's, right. that's due diligence beyond what's well, maybe not what's reasonable or expected, but it's due diligence beyond what anybody friggin' does. Yeah. Uh, and and that's the maybe not thing. now though, maybe not now. But what's interesting is you mentioned uh provenance and, in mm-hmm. terms of the the people making the loans, where artwork is sec- the loan is secured by artwork, and I go, gosh, if I was doing Providence, that's exactly what I would do. Yes, I would I would do that. But I think that the way the Inigo got around that was again just by forging some legal documents oh, yeah. to say I own that because because remember how they wouldn't loan if the piece of art had multiple owners it had to be owned just by one person so again he probably just forged some legal documents and again nobody's going even if there's a notary on there nobody's going to the other parties and saying hey did you actually sign this hey is this really purchase they're going oh i got a legal document so i'm good my 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 folder is full for this loan so we're good to go and to top that off like again my, uh, what, what I deal with at work is I deal with, uh, again, it's medical real estate, but the, the real estate is owned by the LLC and people have an indirect ownership in the LLC through, uh, sorry, indirect ownership of the real estate through membership units in the LLC. So I, when, when membership units trade hands, it's not a real estate deal. It's a financial instrument deal because real estate when whenever there's a loan with real estate, like when you bought your house, you had to get title insurance, right, Caleb? Everybody's yep. got to get title insurance. Yeah. When you get a loan on any real estate, every lender is gonna require that you get title insurance because that's the whole purpose of title insurance. Is that then if there's a b- bunch of people say, "No, I own that land. No, I own that land," it's the title insurance's problem, not the bank's problem, not the person, not not the person who thinks they own the property's problem. It's the title insurance company's problem, right? Yes. Right. Yes. But I don't know any other field that requires that type of assurance when mm. a deal goes. through. I don't even know other fields where that type of uh, insurance is even available. I mean, I'm sure I know you can get insurance on anything, but in terms of just a, a matter of course, that's not even there. And to top it off, uh, I, my my legal documents that I that I review they the the best that they come to that is that the seller just has to certify that the membership units that they're selling uh that they what it says something like they're free and clear of all encumbrances and that's right. and that's it there's no there's no search that's made there's no no research into making sure that they're free and clear of all encumbrances just the person selling them is going yeah there's nothing you, we're we're good I own these outright you're good and and I realized Caleb on top of this since I'm the middleman for all of these deals of membership units kind of like Inigo was the middleman yep. for yep. his stuff I realized that I could I could easily with where I sit I could make two sets of purchase documents and I could like somebody who's buying I could say yeah you're buying you know 321 membership units on our LLC even though the seller was only selling two hundred and eighty four membership units and then i just pocket the difference between what they bought and sold uh and because again nobody's nobody's cross-checking this nobody's looking back to go how many total membership units are outstanding in this llc nobody does this so caleb in answer to your question what have we learned i have learned a new way that i could steal a shit ton of money uh based on my position at my day job
1: that's fantastic
0: it is i mean really What's such, such applicable learning here on, on the Oh My Fraud podcast. I think
1: one last thing, I think before we wrap up, but it is, it is, I think the art world is, you know, and we, as we said at the top of the show, like owning artwork is for some people, it's about the art. It's about, like I said, this, this cultural touchstone that they have a, that they get to, uh, uh, possess right yeah and yeah. and the appreciation of that and 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 the beauty of it um but in in the in the world where speculation kind of rules and flipping in the art world everything is so the the, the lack of regulation is just like it just people are completely exposed yeah. completely For exposed sure. and like what sure. you're talking you're talking about real estate where it's just like oh my god it's so tightly regulated like you can't like when like you say when you yeah. buy a house like Everybody who's bought a house remember like oh the signing day where you were yeah. signing all the paper like i don't i don't know how it works in the fine art world but like something tells me it's not that buttoned up like yeah, they, no like stuff is moving stuff is moving fast right i right? assume
0: in my mind it's more like buying a car where somebody yeah. just signs a, t- a title right and then hands it to you and it's yeah. like
1: done legal deal done <laughs> yeah and i think i think you know if 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 you if you kind of like if you kind of like move in and out of this particular world, I guess the lesson that if it, if it were me, I'd be like, Oh, we, we got to do our homework. Like yeah. if you, if you're, if you're, yeah. you're, if you're like an accountant or a lawyer or whatever, like you're done, you're done doing these deals fast. Like after, after this, like, and Absolutely. that's, that's what, if you read, <clears throat> if there's, there's tons of great reading in the show notes, but like that's, I think that's a big, a lot, a lot of takeaway from a lot of people in these articles being quoted is like own, oh, People are gonna be more careful, but we'll see, because the art world also kind of has a reputation that this is the kind of thing that happens every once in a while. Oh, and yeah? and it just it it doesn't really change that much. Hmm. So I don't know. This was this was a relatively
0: big one. So yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. That's interesting. The like the the risk of something like this happen is just part of part of the risk that you cost to do in business being in this market at all. Yeah. Crazy. Yes, sir. Well, that's it for this episode. Uh, Remember, if you like this episode, it's comedy. And if you didn't, it's art.
1: And also remember, shouting your name in the shower to get ready for your day is totally fine. Totally normal. Yeah. No one will judge you for it. No. No one.
0: You're good. Yeah. Yeah. You're fine. If you you want to drop us a line, uh, maybe just... uh, uh, an email that says your name with an exclamation point after it four times in a row. You can do that. Send it to ohmyfraud at earmarkcpe dot And Caleb, if people want to reach out to you, where can they find you out there in the uh, in the ether?
1: I'm on Twitter at cnewquist and on LinkedIn backslash Caleb Newquist. Greg, you're on Twitter. You're on LinkedIn, right?
0: Yep. Basically, the same thing. I'm Twitter at Greg Kite. And I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, same thing. It's uh, backslash Greg Kite. You can search me, Greg Kite CPA. I'm on there. Uh, so yeah, we'd love to. We'd love to interact with you. Also, you know, leave a review because those are fun.
1: Yeah, leave a review if you like this podcast. Oh my fraud is written by Greg Kite and myself. Our producer is Zach Frank. If you like the show, leave us a review. What? Share the podcast with a friend. Rating the show and leaving reviews helps other people find it. Also, be sure to subscribe on Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you listen. And for the accountants out there, if you listen to the podcast on Earmark, you can earn free CPE. Isn't it wonderful, Greg?
0: It, dude, I I am so far ahead on my CPE for the next uh, reporting period because of Earmark. It's amazing. So I, That's a I highly ringing recommend endorsement. Five, five stars recommend
1: to all join us next time for more average swindlers and scams from stories that will make you say
0: oh Oh my my fraud, fraud oh my fraud oh my fraud oh my fraud